0: I have five of you. I can work with that. That's awesome. My name's Shannon. I have the privilege of being the Grace Group Director here at Grace Church. Uh, today we are wrapping up our series that we started several weeks back. It's a series that we've been calling Room to Room. Um, basically what this series has been about, in case you haven't been here, is that we've been talking about certain areas or rooms in our life that over the years have become kind of stale, maybe a little bit dated, might need some attention. So because of that, those areas now need some renovation, they need some remodeling, maybe even a complete overhaul, so we can grow so we can ref- better reflect the amazing God that we serve. Uh, and so real quick, for those of you that hear that first week, I had the privilege of kicking the series off. I talked about the kitchen, which is of course where we eat and we are, are fed and we're nourished, so we can grow healthy and we can be strong. and so then I talked about this idea of how we don't really have a spiritual growth problem, we have a spiritual appetite problem because it's our appetite that fuels our growth, uh, and then I even gave some pointers on how you can ignite that spiritual hunger in you so you can grow spiritually. Uh, And so then for those of you that are here, that second week, which is of course the last week, Kent Lyles, our Alethecite pastor, was here and he talked about the living room. uh, And he talked about how we were literally created for community. We were created in God's image. And in the triune God, there's perfect community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we were created for that kind of community too. We're not created to be isolated. Uh, And so he talked about how our homes were created with this gathering space for community and how our lives need to have this intentional gathering space for community as well. Uh, And if you were here, he also showed a picture of his beautiful living room and the gorgeous couches that he purchased. Uh, Some of you might remember that. And so all of a sudden now my wife wants to go to Nebraska Furniture Mart after seeing that picture. And so thank you, Kent. I appreciate that. Uh, And so incidentally, if you happen to miss any of those, just head over to visitgracechurch.com and you can catch up on that message or any others. Uh, That brings us to today, which is where we're talking about A room in the home, uh, in our houses, that I believe is by far the most overlooked room, especially when it comes to remodeling. But I also believe it is also by far the room with the worst reputation out of any space in our homes, and that's a space called the closet. All right, everyone say the closet. Okay, say it like menacing, like a scary movie, like the closet. You guys are good at that, all right. And so real quick, by show of hands, uh, and be honest because you're in church uh, and if you lie in church, it's like double sin, all right, and it's bad. Uh, and so be honest how many of you have a closet in your homes uh, that is just full of random stuff and junk that you'd be embarrassed if everybody were to see? Okay, good. Thank you for your honesty. My wife and I, we counted this last week. We actually have three such closets in our homes. Uh, Kind of embarrassing to admit that. In fact, kind of a funny story about one of these closets. Uh, A couple weeks back after SBO was over, uh, my wife and kids came home, and they decided to overhaul the lower level of the house, which is where their playroom is, and my wife's a public school teacher, so she's always got um, her desk down there and stuff, and so it's just usually a disaster in this particular room. Uh, And so no kidding, they worked like the better part of a day just cleaning and organizing, getting all the clutter out, Uh, and so I came home later that day, and I walked in, I was like, whoa, it looks amazing. I mean, it was, I've never seen the room look this good. I even took my cell phone out. I was taking pictures of it because I just wanted to remember this moment of how clean it was, you know. Uh, And so I told my wife and kids, you guys are rock stars. Like, it looks amazing down here. Uh, And so as I'm walking around the room, I'm just admiring the glory of clean. All of a sudden, on a whim, I decided to reach out and open up the closet door. And so unfortunately, when I did that, all I remember was this avalanche of junk coming at me. And the next thing you knew, I woke up in the hospital three days later. Maybe that isn't quite true, all right? But I found out their little secret, right? That they stuffed all the clutter and all the junk that was in the room into the closet, closed the door, hoped that nobody would ever find it, all right? And that's really my point, is that that's kind of what we do with our closets, isn't it? I mean, we tend to uh, do this very same thing, and so at some point, our closets probably started out clean and organized and, and very nice, and maybe when we moved in, everything had its own spot and it was glorious, but at some, for some reason over time, they became this dark place that we can hide and we can conceal, we can stash things that we don't want anyone else to see, right? I mean, let's be honest. Just because there's a closet door on there doesn't mean that what's inside the closet suddenly ceases to exist, although at times I think we wish it did, Right? Uh, This last week, I actually uh, came across another story uh, as I was studying for this message, a story about a closet. Um, It was a story where, I guess, uh, some police officers, this is a different state, they had a domestic disturbance call at someone's house, and so they responded. So they go inside, they calm everyone down, everything is going fine, but all of a sudden they hear this rattling coming from somewhere in the house. And so they begin investigating, and so they're looking around in the house, they're looking under beds and dressers and bedrooms, and one of the officers went into one of the bedrooms and opened up one of the closet doors. Right in front of him, no kidding, was over 50 snakes. Ah. How many of you can't stand snakes? Okay, like, so the rattlesnakes and cobras and all the bad kind that I can't stand. I'll be honest, if I was that responding officer, there would be like a Shannon-shaped hole in that wall because I would have gone right through it. That's how much I can't stand snakes. Unfortunately, that's just one example of all the crazy things that we tend to hide or all the crazy things that people will hide to conceal in the darkness of their closets. And so things like, uh, you know, either deadly snakes or weird addictions or just junk and clutter or even, even bodies. Like I read a bunch of stories about people just stuffing bodies in closets. There must be an epidemic of that or something. All right, And mind you, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that everything we put in our closets today is bad. I'm not suggesting that at all. But what does happen is when we do put things in there and the motive is to hide or conceal those things, that's where the problem begins. All right, And so technically, we can't really say that our homes are truly clean today if we still have these dark, closed-off closets that are concealing utter disasters in our homes and the same thing can be said about us spiritually as well. It's because we can't really say that our spiritual homes, that our lives are in great shape, that they're in a good place today, if we still have these dark, closed-off closets that are disguising or disconcealing just utter disasters that we would be mortified if anybody were to ever see. Right? In fact, I've never, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but even the very terminology that we use in our culture reflects how true this, this is. Right? And so, for instance, uh, when we say we have things in our past... Uh, things that nobody knows about, we tell people that we have skeletons in the what? Say it menacing. Come on. Closet. All right. Or, or how about when we have this big secret that nobody knows about, we make a decision, we're going to tell everybody we know, we say we are coming out of the what? Closet. It usually means one thing these days, although it used to mean a bunch of things. Uh, or how about when our kids are playing and they want they're playing hide-and-seek and they want somewhere dark to hide, they often will hide in the Closet. Hopefully not the one with snakes, right? Or how about when we were kids and our parents would put us to bed when I would just tell my mom, it's like before you leave, mom, mom, can you check and see if there's a monster in the closet, right? Or even even our hidden passions or hobbies that like maybe we're a maybe we're a gamer or we're a trekkie or we're just a, a cat lover like our senior pastor Tim Howie, right? We tell people that we are closet Trekkies or closet gamers or closet cat lovers or whatever the case might be. And so bottom line, even the word closet in our culture has become synonymous with something that's hidden, something that is concealed. And it doesn't have to be a physical closet. It can be also something spiritual as well. And so today we're going to take a look at a passage that talks about, deals with this very same thing, and it even talks about some of the things that we tend to hide in the darkness, in the closets of our lives. Because listen, without a doubt, God wants us to have clean closets. God wants us to to have freedom from the sort of things that we hide and we conceal that we don't want anybody to ever find out. He wants us to be free from the junk and the clutter and the habits and the addictions and the sins that we know are in there. And so he doesn't want us living in bondage and living in constant fear that somebody is going to find us out. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans. We're going to start reading in chapter 13 today. If uh, you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand up. The ushers are coming forward. All of our campuses, they'd love to give you a Bible to use today. Uh, if you don't own one, please consider that one a gift from us to you. Please take that home with you. I uh, also want to take a moment and just say welcome to those of us that are joining us online today. Uh, also, maybe you're in the Olathe campus or you're in the venue. Uh, thank you for being a part of our worship services here at Grace this weekend. Let's take a look at see what Paul writes here in Romans chapter 13. We're just going to read four verses, 11 through 14. This is what Paul says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is near to us now than when we first believed. Verse 12, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for for the flesh to gratify its Desires. Let's take a moment and just pray. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I pray as we read your word that your word would read us today. And that you allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. Lord, as we talk about topics at times that are not always comfortable. But Lord, we know that you have our best interest in mind. We know that you pursue us and you aggressively want us healed and whole. And So Lord, I pray we can find that today. Lord, we ask this in your wonderful name. Everyone said... Amen. So if you have your notes or if you're taking notes, the first thing that Paul tells us here is to wake up. He says to wake up. All right, and so real quick, for those of you who might not be familiar with the book of Romans, it was written again by the Apostle Paul to the churches that were in Rome. And interestingly, just like the church in our country today, the church in Rome Um, Had a lot of Christians that attended that were very diverse and so different ethnic backgrounds, different economic backgrounds and so some were Gentiles, some were Jews, uh, some were wealthier than the others and so they all came together and Christ was their common denominator just like the churches today. And also, just like today, though, those Christians were being confronted by a very pagan society, by a very fallen culture that lived very contrary to the Word of God. And so, as a result, Paul wanted them to keep Christ the center of their lives. He didn't want them to go back to their old ways, to their old habits, to their old behaviors. If they happened to be Jewish in their background, he didn't want them to go back to the law, but he wanted them to keep Christ the center of everything. And so, listen, he wanted to make sure that their behavior actually matched their beliefs, Several years back, uh, many years back now actually, after I graduated high school, uh, I, I had this job that to this day I still call my, one of my favorite jobs of all time. It was a job called loss prevention. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, maybe you didn't work in retail or anything like that, but basically my job was to catch people stealing, whether it was customers or employees. And so I worked for companies like Sears and Saksif Avenue, JCPenney, and a uh, large grocery chain up in Chicago called Jewel Osco. So those are the ones I worked at. Uh, and so what I would literally do for eight or nine hours a day for my long shift is I would walk around these stores acting like I was a shopper, incognito, when in fact I was actually looking for shoplifters. Let me say, it's not easy walking around for eight or nine hours looking like you're shopping, you know, so that's kind of a challenge right there. But really, the reason it was so fun for me was because it was really just this mental game of cat and mouse. Because the whole time I'm trying to pretend like I'm just a shopper, while at the same time shoplifters were trying to pretend like they are shoppers too, right? And so here's the bummer though, is that when I got the job, I had no clue what I was doing. Like I stunk at it. I wasn't catching anybody stealing, and it's almost like the shoplifters were mocking me at that point. I'd find empty boxes and hangers and everything, and I wasn't catching anybody. They were way better than I was, all right? And so one day, I decided to talk to my coworkers because he had worked there for a number of years, and he gave me the best advice. He said, Shannon, you got to think like a shoplifter. He says, you have to, everybody, everybody has a tell. Everybody does little things that reveals things that they're trying to hide, And so kind of like, I guess, when you play poker, you're trying to find people's tells and see if they're lying or telling the truth. Or maybe, you know, if you have little kids and you always know when they're up to something bad because their behavior changes. We all have tells when we're trying to hide or conceal something, right? And so from that point forward, I began studying people's behaviors. And so I learned, first of all, for instance, that shoppers continually or consistently exhibit the same kind of behaviors. And I learned that shoplifters consistently exhibit the same type of behaviors as well. And so when I knew what those tells were, I knew what those behaviors were, suddenly I became very good at catching shoplifters. In fact, one month, I was even in the local newspaper, and I caught so many, which kind of defeats the purpose of me being incognito, right? Uh, in fact, this is, I just got to share this story real quick. Uh, the weirdest one that I ever caught, this one lady, it was in the grocery store, she had managed to strap a ham to her leg, like a ham. And I didn't know what she was strapping to her leg. I just saw her concealing something. So I went and stood by the door. And so I'm standing by the door. She sees me. She figures out who I am. So she takes off running. And so I'm like, okay, I'll run too, you know. So I'm running after her. And all I see is this ham drop out from underneath her dress. It freaked me out. That's troubling. I didn't know if her leg was coming off or she was pregnant or... That's troubling, okay? I'm still in therapy over that one. Here's the thing that never ceased to amaze me, though. Is that when I would catch someone stealing and I'd confront them, I'd pull them into the office, without fail, I would always be amazed at this person's ability to not only to lie to me, but to lie to themselves. I would hear excuse after excuse justifying and rationalizing their behavior to the point that they believed that there wasn't anything that they did wrong. It wasn't that big of a deal. I should just let them go because it didn't really even matter anyway. In fact, very rarely would anybody ever admit or acknowledge that they did anything wrong when I caught them, right? and, and, and the craziest thing was you would think that getting caught shoplifting would be kind of a wake-up call in your life. There's those words, wake up. Like, I got to change my behavior. Like, this is not good for me, Right? But I would find out time and time again that if I caught a shoplifter one time, odds are they'd done it 20 more times when I hadn't caught them. It's very habitual for them. And so knowing that, I was young back then, that's when I began to realize something very troubling about our human nature. You see, we have this incredible capacity to not just fool others, but we have an incredible capacity to deceive ourselves. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick is what he says. That's why when I hear people trying to make decisions and I hear people say like, well, just follow your heart. I want to scream, no, don't follow your heart. You can lie to yourself. You will justify anything. The only heart we can trust is the heart of God. The heart is deceitful above all things. And so what we do is we will rationalize, we will justify the type of behaviors that deep down we know are wrong, we were taught we're wrong, we knew at some point that they're wrong, but we've convinced ourselves at this point that they're really no big deal, it's nothing to worry about, and so we just go ahead and do it. In fact, I'm going to step on some toes today, just kind of throw a warning out there. But an easy example of this can be found in, let's just say for instance, the drive that all of you had here to church today. All right, I'm assuming nobody walked or rode a horse or anything like that, okay? And so let's just say hypothetically, I'm not going to do this, but if I were to ask for a show of hands of how many people broke the speed limit on your way to church today, all right, I have a feeling that very few of us, maybe a couple that are very honest, very few of us would raise up our hand and go, ooh, I did, I broke the speed limit, I did, it was me, right? And really for two reasons why we would not do that. One is because we tend to hide and conceal that kind of behavior, don't we? It's kind of embarrassing, so we don't want people to know we do that. Sometimes we tint our windows so people don't know it's us, right? Or we take all bumper stickers off of our church or whatever else to make sure that nobody knows. You know, or or even when we do get pulled over, it's like we're so embarrassed we want to crawl under the car. It's like, I hope nobody sees me. Oh, my goodness. And so we tend to conceal and hide that behavior. Or secondly... All right, there's a good chance that over the years, some of us, we have just slowly began to rationalize and even justify speeding to the point where we really don't even think it's that big of a deal anymore. And I'm speaking to myself when I say this, too. All right, and so we will tell, our thi- tell ourselves things like, well, you know, it's, the cops won't pull you over until you're going at least five or over the speed limit, so never mind the fact that I've never seen a speed limit that said that, a sign, you know, 55, well, 61, until <laughs> you get caught. Or, or we tell ourselves things like, well, everybody, I was just staying with the flow of traffic. <laughs> so it's the old, everyone else was doing an excuse, right? Or, or it's like on our way to church. Well, I got to get to church on time. I was running late because if I don't get to church on time, I won't get my favorite seat. If I don't get my favorite seat, I can't see the speaker. And if I can't see the speaker, then I don't even want to be in church. And so I've got to get there on time, right? And so did you guys follow that? All right? And so we will justify so many times that we say that we speed and we go over the speed limit, never mind the fact that it's still illegal. It's still against the law. In fact, in this very chapter in Romans 13, if you flip back just a couple verses, he, Paul was telling us that we're supposed to obey the governing authorities. We're supposed to be in submission to them. And yet we still speed. And so that's just an easy example of how we will either conceal that type of behavior, we hide it, or we've just justified it to the point where it's really not even a big deal anymore. right? But here's the thing. If I really wanted to step on some toes today... I would be tempted to talk about the other more significant ways that we tend to do this. Like, for instance, how we've taken the sin of lying, and now we just call it bending the truth or protecting someone's feelings, right? No big deal. Or we've taken the sin of false idols in our lives, and we just say, well, it's just a hobby. It's just a passion of mine. God understands, or we take the sin of, of being drunk, for instance, and now we just say, well, it's just blowing off steam. I had a really long day at work. It's okay. Or we take the sin of, of greed and we just say, well, that's, that's just the American dream. I mean, everybody lives that way. There's the everybody is doing it excuse, right? In fact, there is an alarming amount of things that God calls sin that we simply now call entertainment. I'm going to step on some toes here, okay? But just I want you to think about this. We pay cable companies and satellite providers or fiber, whatever you might have today, to pipe this stuff into our houses. We plug it into the back of our big screen TVs. We sit on our wonderful, comfortable couches eating popcorn, and we're being entertained by what God calls sin, by the very things that he died on the cross for. And we're paying to be entertained by those things. And you know, the crazy thing is, is that if we were to bring some of our TVs here on the the stage and just play some of the things that we've watched, we would never be okay with that. Like, probably next week, half the church would go to a different church. You're like, that's way too far. But why is it okay? Or why is it not okay here, but it's okay in our homes? I think scripture calls that being double-minded. But see, we tend to hide and conceal that sort of thing. And then we justify it. We rationalize it. So bottom line, what's happened is, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down, it's become much easier for us simply to change our belief system than it has our behavior. It's a lot easier for us to change our belief system than it is to change our behavior. So it's a lot easier to believe in a God that accommodates my sin instead of a God that convicts us of our sin. And so this is why Paul is telling us here in verse 11, he's saying, that the time has come for us to wake from our sleep. And that word sleep in the Greek, it's hypnos, which is where we get the English word hypnosis. And so what he's literally saying here is that it's time for us to snap out of it. It's time for us to wake up, to open our eyes, and to look at the behavior that we've been doing and realize that we are taking things way too far. Because the reality is, we might be able to fool some people some of the time. We might even be able to fool ourselves. But there has never been a person in the history of mankind that has fooled God. God knows our deeds in the darkness. He knows what we hide in the closets. In fact, Daniel 2.22 says that God reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. So he casts light on those things. Ecclesiastes 12.14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So bottom line, God knows, and listen, he cares deeply about the things that we have been hiding, whether it's failures or hurts or, 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 or addictions or just blatant sins. He cares deeply about them. He doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to heal us. He wants to help us. And so because of that, Paul is telling us to desperately wake up from your hypnotic slumber and deal with these things that we've hidden away. So moving on, the second thing here that Paul tells us, first thing is to wake up. The second thing now he says is to cast off, right? Cast off. In verse 12, he says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And I like that term cast off in the Greek because it's a, it's a term of like intensity. It means to cast off forcefully, to throw away, to leave behind. Some translations say to just simply lay aside. And I don't actually like that because I don't think it communicates the intensity of what Paul is saying here. He's saying that you forcefully throw these things off. And so literally Paul is telling us is that there needs to be some type of intentional effort where we physically separate ourselves from the deeds of darkness, the things that we're hiding, to the freedom that God has in store for us. There needs to be some type of intentional thing where we cast those things off. Let me do this. Over the, just for a minute here, let me be kind of vulnerable with what that's looked like in my life for the last year and a half. Um, as many of you know, my family and I, we came to Grace Church about a year and a half ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. It doesn't seem that long. But what many of you don't know is that when my family and I came to Grace, we were incredibly broken. We were incredibly wounded. It's not easy to share this. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that um, we're unique to anybody else, because I know a lot of you come wounded and hurt from previous circumstances, situations. So basically what happened with us was, is that I had been the lead pastor at another church in the Kansas City area, uh, wonderful church, amazing people things were going really well. We had multiple services. We had started a second venue, similar to what we do here at Grace. We even put money down on 25 acres because we were building a whole new facility. Just things were going all in the right direction. But unfortunately, somewhere along the line, my elders and I got off on the wrong page. I don't have to go into details other than to say, I really wish things could have turned out differently. I'm sure they would say the same if they were here today. So in January of 2016, the tough decision was made for us to part ways. To say that it was difficult would be an understatement. It was brutal on our family, on me, on the church. We never really plan for these things to happen, do we? And we tend to think that our life is going to be a straight line between points A and Z, but then the left turn happens or the right turn happens, and we don't even know what to do in those moments. So for my family, that was a left turn. We weren't anticipating. We weren't expecting So right away, I reached out to Tim. Tim and I had been friends for a number of years before coming to Grace and shared with him what had been happening. And he was just so amazing, so gracious. And so he graciously invited our family just to attend Grace Church and just find a place of sanctuary, find a place of healing. It was actually several months after that when uh, this position became open and I applied, and here I am as your Grace Group director. But here's the thing. For the first several months of working here, and this is embarrassing to admit, I struggled so much with feeling alone, feeling like a failure. Like there was nothing redeeming about me, to the point that when I was driving from the Missouri side, which I live in Missouri, every day I drive past coming to Grace Church, coming to the office, I drive past this welcome to Kansas sign, and in my mind I read every day, welcome to failure it hurt. And you know how you believe those inner voices after a while? And so naturally, I didn't want anyone to know that. (laughs) I mean, I'm new in the position, and so, I mean, why would I want to be vulnerable and exposed and look like I'm, you know, like everything that I'm afraid I am? And so, you know what I did? I hid it. I stuffed it. I put it in the darkest closet I could possibly find because I didn't want anybody to know. And so I put on my game face. I had the stiff upper lip. You know, the whole fake it till you make it type moment thing? Well, that was was what I was doing for the first several months. Just fake it till I make it, right? But unfortunately, like I said earlier, I had some tells. I had some behaviors I was exhibiting that I might have been fooling some people, but I wasn't fooling everybody. So long story short, at some point, Tim must have been reading my tells like an open book. So one day he stops by my office and he says, how are you doing? I just let it out. I told him how I've been feeling when I drive to church every day. I told him how awkward it is for me to come and go out of staff meetings. I told him that I miss preaching every week. I told him—I think I even told him that how much I miss having my own private bathroom in my office. Like I just let it all out at that point. And you know what was amazing is that when I was saying those things, it was like this weight was just lifting off of me. Like somebody had cast off a thousand pounds. I was so sick of dragging that failure around with me. And the neat thing is, is that when I was saying those things, it was the first time I began to feel this separation between what had happened at my last church and the hurt and pain to what God has in store for me at Grace Church and beyond. And I felt this separation. It all happened for one single reason, because I confessed because I got it out. I cast it off. I opened up the closet door, and I told somebody, look inside. It's not a pretty sight in there, but I had to tell somebody. Now, I'll be honest. Some of you might be thinking to yourself right now, like, wow, that awesome you did that, Shannon, but that sounds like about as much fun as having a root canal. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'd rather just keep that door shut. Thank you very much. You know, the problem is, is that when we shut that closet door, we don't get those things out, we don't confess them, we actually end up in the very bondage that we're so desperately trying to avoid by stuffing them down, right? Right? You know, Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. There's the separation, the forsaking. In Hebrews four, sixteen, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. How many people need mercy and grace today? If we think we don't, that's probably when we need it the most. And so bottom line, Scripture is constantly encouraging us to swing open that closet door to be real, to be honest, just to tell people and to tell God how you're really feeling. You know, we come to church sometimes, this is the fakest place we come. We put on this perfect face like everything is great in our lives and never mind the fact that they're messes. This is the place where we can come to be real, to be authentic. That's what Christ made the church for. It's a hospital for us. And so I know that sounds scary, I know that sounds like it's difficult, but this is how I want you to think about it. In fact, if if you're taking notes, you can write this down. When we conceal something, we empower it to hurt us again. We empower it to come back and hurt us again. But when we confess something, we remove its power to cause further harm. We disarm it from hurting us again. And so this is why Paul is telling us here to cast off the works of darkness. And then he lists things like drunkenness and sexual morality and sensuality and quarreling and jealousy and really anything else that we try to hide and conceal in our closets. He tells us to open up that door and to confess to God and to somebody we trust that it's not a pretty sight in there. So the next thing, the last thing that he shows us here is in verse 14. And so Paul tells us first to wake up. He tells us then to cast off. And now he tells us to put on Christ. He tells us to put on Christ. And verse 14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So real quick, let's, going back to that deadly closet in my house that I described a few moments ago in my basement, you know, where everything was stuffed in there, right? So when I opened up that door and junk's falling out, my wife and I are like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff in this closet. And so we realized that it was time, I think, to have a garage sale. How many people like garage sales? I'm just curious, okay? I think that they're genius. I used to hate them. But I think they're the best junk redistribution method ever invented by man. I mean, think about it. I get money for that stuff, and you get to put it in your closet. (laughs) I like it. And so anyway, we decided to gut the closet. We cleaned it out entirely. In fact, halfway through cleaning it out, I took a picture. Here's the picture. This is halfway. So judging by your expression on your faces, I should be embarrassed. All right? There was a lot of stuff in there. Here's the scary thing. This was the third time in four years that we've had to clean this closet out. Isn't it amazing how clutter and junk just kind of flies back into our closets? Like it just quickly goes back in there? Do you know spiritually the same thing happens to us? Just continually we're filling those closets up again and again. We live in a world where not only do bad things happen to us, but we live in a world where we do bad things to others. And sometimes we help other people put things in their closet too. And so because of our sinful nature, because of our human nature, we will constantly be filling up those closets again and again and again. And in the flesh, if we're trying to empty them, we might get them empty, but it's a matter of days, months, years before they're just full again. And so this is why Paul is telling us, he says, put on Christ. Even earlier in verse 12, he says to put on the armor of light. Because the truth is, without Christ, without that armor of light, our closets are going to fill up again and again. We have no hope of having clean closets in our lives of getting that stuff out and keeping it out. In the flesh, I will constantly fail. But with Christ, what does he say? All things are possible, amen? And so listen, I'm gonna close with this thought. I know there's people listening to this message, whether you're online or maybe you're one of our sites or maybe you're listening to it at a later date. I know that there's people listening right now that are struggling with the guilt and the bondage and the weight of stuff that you've hidden deep in your closets, And it's killing you. And you're sick of dragging it around with you. And so maybe you've been concealing a past hurt or a failure or a habit, addiction, just something sinful that you know God is telling us today to wake up, to snap out of it and open our eyes. To, he's telling us to cast off the deeds of darkness. Swing open that closet door and confess it to God. Confess it to somebody we trust. Then he wants us to put on our armor of light because without him, we cannot keep our closets clean. Listen, today is the day to clean out your closet. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the ability, the power that you've given us in the Holy Spirit for us to even embark on this journey. Lord, how quickly our sinful nature will stuff those closets full of things and secrets and things we want to hide and conceal. But Lord, we know that you can clean them out. That when we confess, there's a disarming that happens. They can't hurt us any longer. Lord, we know that there's never been a sin devised by man that your grace cannot cover. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here today that the Holy Spirit is moving in, there's a gut feeling they know, I've got to confess this. I've got to get this out. That today would be that day. Whatever that thing might be. And we can leave here without the weight and the guilt and we can leave in freedom. You're an amazing God and we love you so much. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.